Anybody hungry this morning? I got a little something up here. You know what that is? I know some of y'all know what this gravel. Some of y'all know what eating that's like. You, you people that have grape nuts for breakfast. <laughs> there has got to be a better way to get your fiber up. I don't know. There's got to be something. But can you imagine, actually, this is like grape nuts times infinity. Can you imagine putting a scoop of this in your mouth and chomping down on it a few times? Brutal, right? Say, why in the world do you uh, ask us that, Scott? Well, I am weird, but that's not all there is to it. There's a biblical reason for asking you that this morning. That's how Jeremiah describes his emotion as he looks at the destruction of Jerusalem. It was right in verse 16. You guys read it, Lamentations chapter 3.16. He says, He, God, has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. I mean, what a powerful poetic way to express his absolute misery like teeth grinding on gravel, right? Made me cower in ashes. What, what a picture of grief as he looked at the city he loved in, in ashes. Verse 17, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Is anybody there this morning or have you ever been there in your life where the things that used to bring you a smile no longer bring you a smile? You just feel numb to it outside and in, and you don't know why. Verse 18, so I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Even this godly prophet felt weary in the face of all that was going on in his beloved city. My endurance has perished, hopeless, so, so has my hope from the Lord. The godly prophet felt ready to give up. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Most of you know those are very bitter substances. And if you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and think about getting out of bed and all you can think of is bitterness, I don't want to get up today because of all I know I'm going to have to face in my life right now. It's bitter. Verse 20, he says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. I read that word continually and it's like he cannot shake it. He cannot shake what he's feeling. So what do you do when you feel hopeless? If you feel hopeless this morning, I'm going to show you what Jeremiah did because I think we have much to learn from where he went with this. He did four things that I see. The very first thing I see that he did is he called to mind the, the truth of who God is. Okay, verse 21. He says, but. There's a hinge here. He says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Calling things to mind does not happen by accident. This is a very intentional act on Jeremiah's part to call the truth of who God is to mind. Verse 22, he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. How did he know this? Well, largely from the history of his nation. Think about Moses after he had formed the, got the new tablets from God. Okay, Exodus 34, verse 5. said, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He took that truth from their history, from their scriptures, and deliberately called it to mind. Took it off the pages of the scroll and put it in his mind at this moment. 
That's what we need to do when we feel hopeless, believer. Now, there's a warning here. When we do that, you may or may not feel the reality of that truth. If you don't feel the reality emotionally at that moment, that's where we have a choice to make. And the choice we need to make is to let truth drive the train. Right? What, what, what does the Bible say? Walk by faith and not by sight. I think we could also say walk by faith, not by feelings. Not that feelings are sinful. Jeremiah's got a lot of feelings here, but he's choosing to let the truth of who God is drive the train. That's why he calls it to mind. If you're feeling hopeless this morning, call the truth of who God is to mind. Second, he remembers God's promises when he felt hopeless. Now, we know about daily troubles, right? How many of us know about every day he's got enough trouble? Jesus said that. Right? Matthew 6.34, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, here's a promise to match. For daily troubles, we also have daily mercies. Look, look where Jeremiah goes on. End of verse 22. His mercies never come to an end. Verse 23, They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. So daily troubles, right here, meet daily mercies. He remembers God's promise of His mercies. One wise man once said that God's promises, which this inspired word is full of, are, are like logs on the fire of our faith. If your faith is dwindling, throw some more logs on there. Read the promises of God. Remember them. Remember the truth of who He is. Remember His promises. And third, fill the void you feel in that moment of hopelessness. Fill the void you feel with God Himself. Why do I say that? Verse 24, Jeremiah says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is my portion. We know about portions. We just had Thanksgiving. Right? What if we look forward to our time with the Lord the way we look forward to that plate on Thursday? The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. That was part of why Jerusalem had been destroyed. Many who lived there had not been making the Lord their portion. They had been seeking their satisfaction elsewhere in worldly pursuits, wealth, idols, selfishness. We know this because of Jeremiah's book, Jeremiah 2.13. He says, my people have committed two evils. This is God speaking. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is a powerful statement in a short paragraph here. They had God, this fountain of living water, fresh, vibrant, full of life. Not only did they turn from Him, they went and dug their own broken, cracked cisterns to gather nasty, days-old rainwater, and it was cracked so it would drain out anyways. You look at them and say, why? Why did they chase satisfaction in worldly things instead of God? Why do we? Why do we? Jeremiah 9.23 says, when we, when we find the Lord to be our portion, our perspective on life changes. We start to boast differently even. Why do I say that? Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's a man who finds the Lord as his portion. If he's going to boast about something, he's going to boast about his Lord. 
fill the void you feel with God. Number four, wait for God. If you feel hopeless this morning, wait for God. Why do I say that? Verse 25, Jeremiah says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. I do not like to wait. This morning as I was on my way into the 8.30 service, I was on Glassford Hill, and Joanne from church was right behind me, and we were sitting at that red light that lets you cross 69, and that is a long red light. I don't like red lights on a road. I don't like, naturally speaking, red lights in life either. I, I don't like waiting. Maybe, maybe you relate to me. I want to tell you about a journey we're on waiting as a church right now. Some of you have been asking and praying about it. It's regards uh, our next location. Come January 2022, we need to be meeting somewhere else. And you know, we're looking ideally for a two-year lease to begin in January 2022. We have explored numerous places, numerous places. Some you've sent our way. Some we've worked with realtors. Some we've gone ourselves. Some we've done walkthroughs on. And we're looking for a couple things. A, we're looking for a space that's suitable for our meeting needs. You say, what is that? Well, ideally, two large rooms at least. Right now we have about 2,400 square feet. We'd like to get at least that, hopefully a little bigger. You know, maybe 3,000 square feet so that we can have service and children's ministry. Obviously, we want it to be a place we lease that we can stay set up and do things during the week. And price-wise, you say, what are you looking for? We are blessed with this place. We got this place for 1000 a month. Unheard of. It was a blessing from our friend at the hot tub store. We're thinking no more than 3000 a month, Lord willing, because we want to be wise uh, with the finances God has blessed us with as a church. We don't want to put ourselves in an agreement that's going to not bring glory to God and bring a burden uh, upon the church next door. So where are we at? Well, so far, only two places that fit those criteria have come across our path, and both of them are set-up teardown situations. We're very thankful that Trinity Christian School in Prescott by the airport has said you could use our new campus on Sunday mornings and any evening of the week that you want to. Uh, there's also the villages at Lynx Creek. They have a recreation center with a big uh, gathering hall and some other rooms that we could use for kids. So all that to say, we have a place to go come January. But I will say this, set up teardown is not our plan A. The, the search is not over. So right now, in our house, we're asking God to help us find that place where we can stay set up. And if not, to help us be content with going down that path at least for a season. Now, something to keep in mind as we wait for God. Whether we're talking about a church waiting for a building or you waiting for something in your own life. Biblical waiting is not a passive thing. It doesn't mean sitting on our, our hands and, and doing nothing. Biblical waiting always involves seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. Why do I say that? Read verse 25 in its entirety. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Who seeks Him. Right? And I want to give us four characteristics of biblical waiting and seeking. First characteristic as we wait and seek is we are to do so quietly. Verse 26, what, is, what does he say? Is it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You know what I think of when I think of waiting quietly before the Lord? I think of slowing down and carving out time to spend with Him in His Word, time in prayer, whether as an individual or as our family's been doing regarding this building at dinner sometimes, just lifting it up together. Time in His Word and in prayer. Biblical waiting, you cannot just keep running full speed and ignoring your relationship with the Lord. There has to be quiet moments somewhere with 
the Lord. In fact, I want to invite you to one of those as a church family. This Wednesday at our weekly prayer meeting from 6 to 7.30 right out here, we're going to carve out a portion of time there to, to wait and pray to the Lord about the building. So if this is something that's on your heart and you want to come join us and seek Him on this, 6 to 7.30 this Wednesday, we'd love to have you. Waiting quietly. Second one is waiting in obedience. Waiting in obedience to the Lord. Verse 27, Jeremiah says, It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now, some of you know some stuff about the farm. You know what a yoke is. And we're not talking the kind that comes from chickens. We're talking about the wooden apparatus that goes on a couple of oxen. The master puts it on a pair of oxen so the master can guide them into productive obedience. For example, plowing his field, right? So when we read about taking the yoke in our youth, we think about the Lord's yoke upon us, guiding us into productive obedience for his kingdom. Now think about that obedience, and I, I think about something. I, I phrased it this way this week. When you don't know what he's doing, Keep on doing what you do know from his will. Keep on obeying him and what you do know. When you don't know what he's up to, keep on doing what you do know. Week before last, there was a day where I went out and looked at 10 or 12 spaces. And uh, folks asked, how, how'd it go? I said, well, it was more scratching off, no circling yet. And the next day, I thought about going out and doing it again. But the Lord put it on my heart. Scott, you've got ministry to do. You've got a sermon to write. You need to spend some time in the Word today and trust me with that. Wait on me. Depend on me. And so I was studying. And every now and again, I get tired of sitting at a desk studying. So I'll throw my books in the truck and go sit at like Fane Park, a beautiful office. So I got my books in there, I'm studying, I'm reading my Bible, and a car pulls up next to me that day. Guy gets out and he says, Scott Mitchell? I say, Ronnie? This guy I hadn't seen for years. We did some ministry together down in Phoenix at a homeless shelter one time, and he still remembered it, and I still remembered it. And I said, how you doing, man? And he said, well, I got to tell you a story. The Lord's really encouraged us lately. He said, my wife and I really want to move to Texas because all of our grandkids are back there. And we had everything all worked out, looked good, and then it all fell through. And we were so discouraged. But then a couple weeks later, he said, you know what happened? We got a, another offer on our house that was $15,000 more than the previous offer. And then we praised the Lord and said, Lord, you had a plan <laughs> and all that discouragement. And I said, Ronnie, boy, if you only knew what I was down here waiting and depending on the Lord for, let me tell you about our church. And he asked me an interesting question. He said, Scott, has even one person come to the Lord during the years of that church? And the answer is yes. A number of people have come to salvation in the Lord. He said, just keep on doing what you're doing. God is going to provide for the church next door. I went home and told Carolyn, it was like God sent Ronnie that day, almost like an angel. And he did talk about fairy dust one time when he worked at the hospital cafeteria. He told me bacon's like fairy dust. You can crumble that up and put it on anything. <laughs> but all that to say, Ronnie encouraged me in this. Just keep doing what you're called to do. God's going to provide for the church next door. Listen, though, as believers in Jesus, as we take on the yoke, we need to remember what kind of master we have. That makes all the difference. What kind of master do we have? Here's a verse I've been chewing on this week. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's his invitation to salvation. You come to the Lord, embrace him as your Savior. You'll find eternal rest for your soul. He goes on, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What kind of master is he? He says, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There are three invitations or commands in that verse. Come to him in faith, then take his yoke, which means submit to him in obedience, right? And then learn from him. And that's something we keep asking God during this journey with the building. What are you teaching us? What is it you want to show us as we go through this? That learning aspect, that the next day after the one I told you about, Carolyn and I had breakfast with someone from the church, the guy who was moving down to Phoenix for a seminary. And as we were eating with him at Jen's 7th Avenue Cafe, he didn't know about the, the week we were having, but waiting and depending. And just almost out of nowhere, but I know it wasn't out of nowhere, he looks at us and he says, you guys don't do Jesus' job for him when it comes to a building for the church next door. It is his job to provide a place for the church next door. Trust him. Whatever you do, do not get out in front of Jesus. <laughs> We're like, let, let us tell you about our week and why we believe God puts you across the table from us this morning. Wow. It doesn't mean we do nothing. But it does mean we trust him and we obey him wherever he leads us in obedience. That was the second one. Third, we wait and seek him humbly, not with pride. Listen to verse 28 through 30. Let him sit alone in silence when the yoke is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. You can't get much more humble than that. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. What does it look like to humbly wait on the Lord, to humbly seek the Lord in our lives? Looks like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will Make straight your paths. Humbly wait and seek the Lord. And finally, wait and seek Him in hope. In hope. Verse 31, he says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though He cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He does not afflict from His heart or grieve the children of men. You talk about hope Jeremiah would, would tell the people in Jeremiah 29.10, Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Wait and seek him and hope. Now, as we think about our faithful God, I want to swing around to Omicron. Some of you may have heard that Greek letter for the first time this weekend. If you didn't, it's the new variant of COVID. I want to talk to you about Omicron versus the Alpha and Omega, our faithful God. I think about Omicron, and I think about something with viruses. Viruses change and mutate, infecting many for their own survival, right? That's what viruses do. The Alpha and the Omega is just the opposite. He remains faithful. He remains the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, saving many though it cost him the life of his son. Revelation 1.8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If you want proof that God is faithful, you need look no further than the cross. Look to the cross and you'll know. That's why he sent him at Christmas time, 
Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Our faithful God, Romans 8.32, starts out, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. You want to talk about God's faithfulness, you could end the verse right there. Okay? And you'd know He's faithful. And yet, the verse goes on. Listen to the whole verse. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Do you follow the logic? He gave His Son to take care of your eternal destiny? Why would you worry about all this other smaller stuff. You follow the logic. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Not always as we wish. Can we admit that? But, but always according to His good and perfect will. James 1.17 every, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Psalm 36, 5, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And some of you got Mac Powell on your brain right now. Third day. Right? Listen. I know we live in a fallen world. You remember where we started. Jeremiah felt as though he was chomping on gravel. There are times we feel that way. There are times we groan in this fallen world. But even in the darkness, there are testimonies. Testimonies of God's faithfulness that, that shine like stars in the night sky. And I want you guys to hear some of those this morning. We got four people who are going to come up here and share stories of God's faithfulness in their lives. And we're going to start with one of our youth. I want to invite Taylor O'Hagan to come on down here. Can you guys welcome her? And we learned from the 8.30, we got Kleenex up here. There you go. My name is Taylor O'Hagan, and my story begins back in 2014 when I was nine. I remember praying in my room with my mom as I asked God to come into my heart and be with me for the rest of my life. At the time, I didn't know much, but I was sure of one thing, that he was my God and he was the only thing I needed, and I was sure of it. A couple years go by and I started to fade from my faith. I didn't pray, I followed the trends, I did what was cool, and I did what, other, what made others laugh. By doing that, I lost myself and who I truly was, but more importantly, I lost my faith in God. A big incident happened, and because I trust God and because he's the one who helped me get past it, I'm comfortable sharing. So as some of you know, Many things that I said during the Black Lives Matter protests went around the internet, and to this day, I will remember the night it all went down forever as it was the darkest time I ever went through. About a week goes by, and I started to stress clean. I was going through my whole room, and if you're anything like me, deep cleaning clears your mind. I cleared my room of anything I didn't need and kept what I needed. It got late, and I thought to myself, I'll just finish it tomorrow. So I got ready for bed and tossed and turned for what felt like hours. It felt as if no matter what I did, I could not sleep. So I got up to clean the last few drawers of my nightstand. Without hesitation, the first drawer I opened, there was my Bible. So I messed around and opened it and told myself, give it a chance. The very first verse I read was Jeremiah 24-7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return me with their whole heart. And in that moment, I remember praying, asking God to forgive me for all the wrong I had been doing, asking him to help me recover and grow back into the girl of God he always wanted me to be. 
at a time I thought was worth of lashing out and surrendering to protecting my family, God gave me the knowledge and peace of heart to give it all to him. I knew in that moment I needed to change my heart. I learned that more we, the more we let God take over, the more we change into the person God truly intended us to be. So I thought to myself, if God truly loves us, then why do we go through such hard times? And by flipping through my Bible some more, I saw a verse that I had highlighted. And there was Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will not give you weight you cannot hold. Looking back now, I understand and I see God was with me in the midst of my darkest moments, and he was still walking with me when I got out of the hole I was stuck in. A couple months ago, my brother Nolan moved out. I knew it was going to be hard not living with my best friend anymore, but I didn't know exactly how hard. The night I found out, I prayed with my family and asked that God would help us all go through this new life changed. I asked him to help me especially to be happy for him and help him when he needed it. And most of all, I asked God to allow me to trust in him that he was going to keep him safe. My brothers are my whole world. And Nolan leaving was so hard, and yet God held my hand through the whole thing and gave me a peace of mind yet again that he is with me and that he is not going anywhere. Even when I was stuck in the mud, God was right there with me. And I know now that who I am in the eyes of God is infinitely more important than who I am in the eyes of the world. I do not have to live up to anybody's expectations except his. And at 16 years old, I hear it all the time, YOLO, you only live once. Not me, not us. We as believers, we live twice. I have discovered that in this beautiful life we get to live, we as believers have a calling. And I was lucky enough to have found mine the summer before freshman year. I'm constantly reminded that we do, what we do down here is the ultimate turnout of where we go. Revelations 12:11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. All believers are overcomers, but in the tribulation we are especially targeted by the devil, but we conquer him by the blood of the lamb. In a time where I felt alone, God showed up and said, I'm here. All right, now we're going to invite Taylor's mom, Johanna, down. We got three from the same family, and then we're going to have Jason and Barb come up from a different family. Good morning. (laughs) Um, So I became a believer um, pretty young. Um, It was at, I I can't, I don't know the church, um, but the story of Jesus's life was, um, played out with me that those play school little, um, toys. Um, and then we, uh, moved to Arizona and, uh, my parents have started to attend another church. Um, we all met in the home and, um, uh, it was, um, I just started noticing that there was discrepancies in what the word said and what they were telling us. And so I kept saying, well, that's, I don't think that's right. And, um, this is what the Bible says and they couldn't explain it to me. And so then they would just tell me that you just, you just don't understand. And so I felt like I was being pushed out. Um, and so then it was kind of like, I just started rebelling and I stopped going to that church about when I was 12 years old, my parents finally just gave up and let her do what she's going to do. And, um, at 15, I met Kevin, and um, we started going to Humboldt Bible Church, and I, they were um, talking about asking Jesus into your heart, and I was like, wow, that's, yeah, I probably should do that. That's a good idea. So right then, I prayed to myself. I didn't publicly announce that I had done it. I just, you know, prayed. Um, the church that we came from, you didn't speak openly and talk about praying for things or people or anything, so I just did it privately. Um, so ended up marrying Kevin and um, been together, and we go to church and go, you know, read my Bible, and I play it on audio in the car and can listen to it and um, definitely know that, that he exists and that he's with me. And then I go home, and one night I am watching the coming convergence, and um, 
it's on, it was on Pure Flix and Amazon Prime. And um, so I was watching it and I watched it again and I watched it again. And I was like, we don't think we're in end time. We know we are in end times. And I got really excited and I was like, this is awesome. And I started telling everyone I know, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. Like, we don't think we're in end times. We know we are. Jesus is coming back. Like, I told everybody at my work, um, all my patients, um, and got to um, a friend of mine that I didn't, I didn't really know what Jewish people were, and I should. Like, you know, you read the Bible and stuff, and she starts telling me I'm Jewish, and I read the Torah, and I've never heard anything like that in the Bible, so I thought, oh my gosh, she must be into witchcraft or something, like, I don't, I don't, what is that? So I'm, like, trying to turn off my phone, and my family's all listening, and I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So, okay, so that was my first time, and then I get on the phone with my brother, and he's wanting me to sell my home and go buy a 100-acre place and live on this compound with him, and the men will protect the women, and you guys can work at home. No. <laughs> I said, no, Jesus wants us to, we're supposed to go out and share the word and save people and um, not save people, but point them in the direction of Jesus. We can't save people. But so he's cussing and swearing and I get off the phone and then I'm really scared because here I think I'm, I believe strongly that Jesus could come at any moment and some of the most precious people in my life aren't believers So, right then and there, I pray, and I write in my prayer journal that I'm not going to heaven without my my family and my friends. And I didn't know that spiritual warfare was a thing, but now I do. Um, So, I was really, really struggling. Um, And I was seeing crazy things and, like, feeling crazy things. And I would be thinking about something, and then God would put something in place. And I was just like, whoa, that's crazy. So I knew that he was all around me all the time. But I went to Uncle Jim, who's um, my husband's uncle, and he was the pastor at Humble Bible Church, and I asked him, what is wrong with me? Like, why am, I, why am I struggling? Like, why can't I just find peace and rest? And, and uh, he said, well, maybe that documentary just wasn't right on. And then I immediately got sick, and I thought, I'm one of those false prophet people that just told everybody, Jesus is coming back. Almost, and I was to the point of suicide because I literally had told everyone in my whole, everybody I knew. Um, about a week before that, Scott called me and he asked me to go over and help Kat and Rick Wooten. Um, Kat had fallen and broken her arm and they needed help. And I believe that God set that up to give me a soft place to land at my weakest and darkest moment. Um, Rick's the pastor and um, Kat is a counselor. And they really talked me through it, and I felt felt comfort, comfort, and and I feel like they they were put in put in place for me by God. Um, I uh, went home, and the only thing that would give me comfort is just reading my Bible more and more, and trying closer to God, because that's the only place that we can get our comfort from. And I have to say that God is working in my dad's heart. Um, he's openly talking about praying and he's asking me to pray for people. So I know that the Lord is definitely working. Um, and Christina, my, my Jewish friend, had, we've been having great long conversations and, um, and she's truly seeking. So I know that he provides. We just have to draw closer to him and that is through the word and in prayer. That was Johanna. Now we get Kevin O'Hagan, Taylor's dad, and Johanna's husband. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I was listening and I wasn't preparing. So, first of all, um, we go to the 8:30 service. So, I'm Kevin. My wife Johanna, Taylor. We have Corbin and Nolan is our family. Um, So, just in case you didn't know who we were, want to thank Scott for this chance to get up here and have the entire family cry in front of church so it was great thank you for that Scott (laughs) he talked this morning about um, one thing that that has been a part of all of our stories is God's steadfast love I mean he's just always been there whether I wanted to see it or not 
usually after the fact, I would look back and be like, wow, that was definitely not me. Um, that was not, not us, because um, we believed for a long time, but living and believing are two different things. I believed in it, but I just wasn't living it. And we'd get out of situations that I would think back, like I had nothing to do with getting out of that. Um, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, so his steadfast love is amazing that that was brought up this morning. So uh, anyways, a little bit about myself. i am been, been here, born and raised my entire life. Um, I work for the police department here. Um, and up until recently, that was a, the biggest part of my life. I don't want to say that it was the only part of my life. I knew I had my family, but I always put work first. I would... Um, bid for shifts to work based on who I was working with, not what was best for our family. Um, and even to the point where I had seniority, I could bid anywhere I wanted. I would bid for what I wanted at work. There was a work Kevin and a home Kevin, and um, work Kevin was priority. He, he did whatever was more important for work, and, and I put them on the side. And I didn't really appreciate that and understand it until recently. And so I say that just saying that that was one of those things that for 16 years now I've been an officer and, and God has just con, uh, continuously pulled me back. You know, look, look at your family. Look at all this that I'm giving you and supplying you with. Um, a bunch of guys at work bought land and started building houses. And I was like, we should jump in on that. Um, they're, it's a good opportunity, you know, all this kind of stuff. We're going to do it. Johanna was like, yeah, that's, sounds like an adventure. Let's get into it. So we sell our house. We live in a fifth wheel in, a, in my parents' backyard and for a year and a half while we're building a house. And that was um, very hard times. Um, it was not the best environment for our family. We had two kids at one point live, living in the house. We're living in the trailer. We're separated. We're not together. We're definitely not following. We're, we're just floating. And it's super stressful. I had no idea how to build a house. I had no idea how to do anything. Um, related to building a house. So it got me thinking, like, what am I doing? Why would I jump into this stupid thing? And now we have nothing. We have no place to live. Um, things were taking forever. It was not, the timeline was not, I'm like, oh, we'll be done in four months. Well, four months into it, I don't even have permits. And um, so it was very, very frustrating to the point where Taylor's birthday, uh, that night I go to bed and I wake up in the middle of the night and feel that my arm doesn't work quite right. I thought it was asleep, trying to move my arm around, and, and it wasn't fixing it. So I thought, well, maybe I just need to get up and walk around. And when I tried to get up, uh, my leg was in the same position. I couldn't move it. I couldn't do anything. I ended up falling. Um, a skinny person like myself, when you fall on a fifth wheel, tends to wake everybody up. Um, so that yeah, woke Johanna up. And... I said, hey, I, something's wrong. I need some help. And she instantly knew just by the way I was talking that something's wrong. Uh, fire department comes, go to the hospital, um, ends up I had a stroke. And I'm 37 years old and I have a stroke. So it's, you know, at the time I'm thinking, wow, this is the worst thing in the world. I'm so afraid. I'm so scared. Get to the hospital and... It was mostly because I don't know what's coming. I don't know what a stroke is. I don't know what happens with that. I don't know what's going to happen. And when we get to the house or the hospital, they're telling me, you're going to have another one. You're, you're susceptible for having another one, so be careful. Well, they send me up like the next day for an uh, ultrasound. And on the way back down to my room, everything comes flooding back. All the symptoms came right back. I thought I had another one. Um, I can't talk. My face is droopy. My arm can't work. Um, I flooded the MRI machine with all the tears pouring out of my face. Uh, I just just left my family with half a house and trailer, and in, um, um, it was a mess. Um, but then it was like God pulled me right back out. He uh, wouldn't say he healed me; <laughs> he he humbled me. Um, it took us a couple months to get back up and moving again, and um, there was other complications, but it was definitely one of those times where it's not, it was humbling, and I learned from it for sure, but it was, my perspectives were wrong. Um, I started putting them first, started putting work, oh gosh, 
worrying about what's important at home, what's important in my heart, what's important in my relationship with God. And, and now we're at that point where we have an abundance and it's share it. We have time, we have money, we have a house, we have whatever we have, we are realizing as a family that it's not ours. It's temporary, it's not ours and give it. Um, so it sucked, it was a hard, super hard time, but um, I, I said it earlier where I kept falling through the ice and I would intentionally go out on that half frozen pond every time and fall in and scream, God, get me out. And he did, and he did. And then I'd go right back to my normal ways and and now it's, now we're good, so. <laughs> Thanks, God. Thank you. Now for our last one, I want to invite Jason and Barb Cass to come down and share about God's faithfulness where they've seen it recently in their lives. Well, uh, my name is Jason Cass. This is my wife, Barb. Uh, we've been going, I don't know, probably the last five, six months um, to church next door. Um, I didn't get to share um, the opening verse that I wanted to share just because it was kind of, for the 8.30 we had to go kind of quick. But we got to experience just recently, again, the faithfulness of God. And um, <clears throat> But I just want to share... Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So it, it, God has done everything for us. If he never answered another prayer, he gave us Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified. I mean, it's just, um, you know, I continue to always want him to, you know, these prayers answered, you know. But he's done everything, but he continues. It's so awesome that God, he's such a good God that he does more than that. I mean, people are without excuse because the world is so amazing God's creation is so amazing and we're all of us are supposed to be able to see that and so he's done everything he has to do uh, you know John 3:16 you know it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him has eternal life and so yes he's such a good God he answers when we cry out to him and he's so faithful and so with that said, uh, I was in my truck, you know, UPS, and I'm just having a bad week, um, uh, maybe a bad <coughs> month, um, and I just am talking to the Lord, and I am just knowing that he's been faithful in the past, and knowing that he answers prayer, and, I, and I'm just crying out, I just, Lord, I just want to see your goodness, because just several things. Um, but so that was on a Thursday, and um, then on Friday, um, we got to go down to Phoenix to see my daughter's um, graduation from college. Um, so that was really an emotional thing, and, um, and then we came back, and we got a call, and I'll give it to my wife because I get kind of emotional. Um, so we actually went down and... She graduated with her master's degree, which was huge for her. Um, that night, we were getting ready to watch a movie, and my phone rang, and it was my daughter, our oldest daughter. And she was almost so calm in a way, and I could tell something was wrong. And she said, Mom, I just was in an accident. I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm okay. She said, I had Bear, one of their dogs, with me. She said, he's okay. He's okay, too, but she said, I was crossing the highway, Highway 69, in the Humboldt Dewey stoplight to go home. They live on the other side right now, and she said, I had, and somebody blew a red light and hit me at about 70 miles an hour, and I know, Jason, that there's her Subaru, and she basically took her front end off of her car, 
spun her around a couple times, and we just know that God had his hand upon her. And the verse that comes to my mind was, is one of my favorite is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, and he has better plans for her. And um, in listening to um, the second sermon, and you're talking about your friend at Fame Park, made me think of a couple weeks after the accident, she, um, she actually walked away from that accident with very minor injuries. And she had to cross that same intersection one of the first times she got back into a vehicle to drive to go to the post office to mail their title and keys to the insurance company. And she had said to me that God sent this older couple to the post office knowing that she needed them to be there at that time knowing that she was having a hard time addressing the envelope and mailing it, she went out to her car, and she was just kind of sitting there, and this lady knocks on her window and says, are you okay? And she immediately broke down in tears and proceeded to tell them she was in a bad accident and that that was the first vehicle her and her husband bought together, first vehicle they paid off. And this couple encouraged her and ended up praying with her and going back the same direction that the accident happened to go home she said it just gave her peace and um it just was awesome yeah i just um just the accident um i have a paramedic on my route and i didn't know that even so god worked something out again where i was making a delivery and um, just started talking with him, and he said he's a paramedic, and, and I just happened to say, were you on the night that this, you know, he goes, was it a Subaru? And, and I go, yeah, and he goes, um, he said, yeah, there was two helicopters on standby, and when we got there, um, he's been doing it a while, but he said, you know, they were preparing for the worst. He said it wasn't, didn't look good to him. So, again, I just thank God for his divine hand upon her, and, um, and, you know, just being so faithful, um, you know, it says, <laughs> there's many verses on ask, and I, I was, um, it's just, uh, you have not because you ask not, and I don't know what you guys need today, um, whether it's, you know, a, a relationship restored, or whether it's um, a, an emotional healing, a physical healing, um, a deliverance, um, but God just says to ask, and then he says, just believe him and don't doubt. So. Thank you. I'm sure every one of you has stories like that in your life, and the New Testament tells us to encourage one another daily as the day draws near. So let's keep sharing those. One story every believer in Christ shares in common is the cross. And I want to invite you to remember with me once more the death of our Lord and Savior for our sins. 